y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. I've had the opportunity to learn about so many unique lives on this podcast. Athletes and entertainers. And this week is one of my favorites yet. Uh, Ronnie Dunn, half of the iconic 90s country duo Brooks and Dunn, spent 30 or 40 minutes with me discussing his life, his passions, and it was so fulfilling for me. Uh, he's one of my heroes, man. Anybody who knows anything about me knows how much I love country music. I study its history. Some of my greatest heroes are country artists. Some of my best friends are current country artists. And so for Ronnie to give me all this time was humbling. And I can't wait for you guys to hear Ronnie discuss his passion for photography, his passion for music, why he got into music, how he and Kicks came together, why they ultimately broke up. I, look, for a guy like me who was so passionate about their work, I, I said was, I don't want to say was, is, it's a present tense passion. Their work is every bit as resonant right now for me in my life. When I'm tossing back a few cold ones right now, that's what I'm playing. As it was the first time I heard him when that, when I was 14. That's nearly a 30 year run. And I couldn't understand with a catalog like that and that type of success, why would you ever break up? It doesn't make any sense to a fan. And I'm a fan. And I love to hear Ronnie's explanation. Of course, they have since come back together. They have this awesome residency at Caesars Palace in Vegas with Reba McIntyre. It's like Mount Rushmore of country music. And right before we get to Ronnie, I just want to remind you guys really quickly. Please subscribe to the Marty Smith's America podcast. Rate it and review it. It seems trivial, I know, but it matters so much to us and for us who are involved in this property. So without any more wait, here's Ronnie Dunn on the Marty Smith's America podcast. One of my favorite country artists ever, Kings of the 90s format. As half of Brooks and Dunn, my man Ronnie Dunn. Man, what an honor. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Who paid you to say that? Well, I expect the check to be in the mail, and I better receive it here express in just a couple <laughs> days, man. So you're coming at me from uh, Cheyenne Frontier Days, the rodeo. What separates Frontier Days from other rodeo experiences you've had? You know, I don't know how many, Marty, we played over the years. There's no no telling. I have a, a drawer literally by my, my bed that I would just come in and, and dump rodeo buckles in. You know, <laughs> half the time we would joke, you know, do you play Houston, Greeley, uh, Cheyenne, Pendleton, all all of them. And uh, we, we were more excited uh, 90% of the time to get a buckle uh, than get paid. But now I'm glad they don't know that now or, or back, back, back then. So Cheyenne is is outside, and of course it's it's billed as the the granddaddy of them all. But there's there's a vibe there of authenticity that it, it it's hard to it's hard to capture in a lot of places. You know, Houston Rodeo is massive, big inside. It's just bigger than life, and uh, Cheyenne has that real authentic. Not that Houston doesn't, but it has a real authentic, even further west of the Mississippi, uh, you know, cowboy vibe. And uh, the way it's set up and branded is unbelievable. So I'm there this time, and last year, you know, kind of under the guise of, uh, of doing photography uh, with my buddy from uh, Sports Illustrated, Ron Madra. And uh, it brought it to life for me because 99% of the time, we, we don't get to see the rodeos when we're, we're playing. And 
that I got out there with a camera and went crazy. Here's the one thing that really sets it apart for a photographer, and, and most people who, I guess, are visual, is the there's a bunker, a below-the-ground bunker set up directly across from the chutes. So when they let the bulls, horses out or whatever, they're coming straight at you. Wow. It sets it up for some fabulous, uh, you know, photography. And it's just, I mean, I, you, you can't have a better ringside seat. Y'all need to go check out some of that photography on Ronnie's Instagram page. It's uh, at Ronnie Dunn. Some of those images are tremendous, and that leads me right into your passion for photography. The Lensman Project is is what you're discussing. Explain to the listeners of the Marty Smith's America podcast what the Lensman Project is and how it developed. Okay. Well, it just it's just kind of grown from from a group of us who uh, have interest in, in in obviously photography, but I'm the way. Uh, down on the the rung in terms of uh, hierarchy of quality of photographers that are involved. Like I said, Ron Madra, he's a he's a Hall of Fame sports uh, illustrated photographer, uh, and there are there are four other guys that uh, run with us. Jim Arndt out of Santa Fe, who uh, did most of the older original uh, Marlboro campaigns. So you can imagine, awesome. you know, his, yeah, his his hit list. And uh, uh, a couple of new guys who are, who are young up-and-comers who are actually hitting the lick right now. Dustin Haney is a great uh, videographer. And then we've got a journalist uh, involved, too. And, but like I say, this, this just evolved. We started, like, uh, traveling together on our trips. Ended up in Alaska, uh, Galapagos, uh, all over the place, shooting, you know, you know not say shooting, but photo- I have to say this politically correct, photographing. <laughs> In our business, in our business, the term is shooting. So I know what you mean. What's your favorite subject to shoot, Ronnie? Rodeos, cow, Rodeos. cowboy stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, oddly enough, we're in uh, Hinkley, Minnesota, right now, doing a show tonight, and uh, there's a there's there's an Indian powwow going on or Native American powwow. So I'm going to jump in the middle of that and see if my cowboy tattoo won't get me hurt. <laughs> uh, what goes on in the middle of an Indian powwow? I'll tell you. Hopefully, I'll live to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) The cowboy culture really does fascinate me. How has it influenced your life? Obviously, you got the tattoo, and we'll get to the tattoo in a minute. I need the backstory, but how has the cowboy culture? What's that? Doctor Phil on tattoo. He'd probably help you and make more sense of it than I can. <laughs> I was born in in uh, Midland, Texas, West Texas. That's sure. way out in the middle of uh, you know that nothing tumbleweed, you know dust storm Texas culture. And my dad was a uh, a foreman of a small ranch, and uh, he and my mother. I'm the, the first of four uh, kids, and he and my mother were. Uh, first married that's that's really they went out and lived ironically it's not that far from abilene texas my dad had some buddies and he was a guitar player and sang a little bit ended up being a singer on a, a radio show and uh of course that, that was all country and you know that just I, I was raised in it he was a he was a horse trainer up in kentucky when he was a kid and uh, uh there was always some kind of broke down horse or two in the backyard or close to the house that they were they were you know working up for quarter horse racing or something like that so uh and then you know you sag into country music it's it pretty much engulfs their you know the cowboy way of life in a lot of ways it's kind of the kind of the music of, of that culture these days or was was in the 90s i think it still is so what's the story behind the cowboy tattoo on your right forearm okay you're gonna pin me down last uh Last few shows with the, with the Brooks and Dunn uh, last rodeo tour, we were out in uh, L.A. 
and uh, that, that at the time that show LA Inc was real hot. So uh, we had I think two shows left, and uh, a bunch of the guys in the band were out, and we were feeling our oats one night. It was probably a little tequila involved. I, I, I'm wager to say, and somebody popped off about. You ought to get a tattoo to commemorate what all you know you've done over the years with this Brooks and Dunn thing. And, and I'm going, well, you know, I, won't, I always wanted to be the cowboy. Kicks got to wear the hat. I said, uh, you know, it's like <laughs> they, they look at him as the he's the cowboy. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down and tattoo. Him. I'm going to get a cowboy tattoo. And of course, I didn't get any resistance. And before the next thing I knew, I'm I'm in L.A. Ain't getting cowboy tattooed down my skinny arm. And I wake up the next morning and went, ah, ah it's, it's a little big. Uh, <laughs> So you're like you are you are that nightmare. You are the I, I, you woke up and said, "Oh my God, what in the hell did I do last night?" Oh yeah, and my wife helped me do it once I got home. Uh, in the in today's today's age, you know, social media. Well, somehow it got posted before I got home. Oh and, no, uh, Mama found out on the internet, bro. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that uh, so I come home to a you know it's just a, a, an icy reception. And uh, I, I still, every now and then, if she gets a little heated and stuff, I'll go in and put on a long sleeve shirt and walk through the house for a couple of days. <laughs> so you mentioned it being the last few shows that uh, you and Kicks were playing together, and I know you've done the residency thing in Vegas since that time. But yeah. as a guy who – y'all were a major portion of the soundtrack of my high school years and into my early college years. So uh-huh. for guys like us, I mean, it was magic, all right? It was magic. Y'all were duo of the year for 145 straight years or whatever. It's hit after hit after hit after hit. And so when you guys decide to part ways for guys like me, who at the time I didn't know a damn thing about, you know, chemistry and time and all of that. I was young and dumb. But I couldn't yeah. help but wonder why in the hell would they break up? So I ask you, you know, why was it important for you guys to part ways at that time? You know, it, it, that's, a, that's a good question. And it, we actually took into consideration what you're talking about, you know, how people felt and stuff. But we felt like we'd been going for like 20, 20 plus years. And the business, the business, the infrastructure of the music business was changing, not not just on a on a demographic and, and age level, but the, the way they, they went about doing business was was getting was getting kind of shaky. That combined with the fact that we just felt like, hey, you know, we were on that 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 commercial conveyor belt nonstop mm-hmm. and at, at some point you just have to get off of it and go you know what i need to, i need to slow down and at least create or do something here or we're, we're going to ride this horse into the ground and that's something that neither one of us wanted to do you know we wanted to respect you know the, the way that you said you felt and uh, other fans and that was that was it that was the basis of, of one day we just looked at one another and went i think it's i think it's time you know and uh you know, we were down for a few years. The next thing you know, this the Caesars thing comes up. We're still doing the residency out out there, and uh, and having a great time with Reba. And uh, every now and then we'll we'll sneak off. Like I say today, we're in we're in Minnesota doing a little festival out in the uh, middle of the woods. <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh it's it's good. I I would you know I, I get it. You know I get what you're talking about, and we you know really appreciate it. It's so cool to hear someone like you say that 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 music had an impact on your life and and what memories it does because i have you know bands myself that i we all look look back at you know the music bands and they, it defines moments in your life you know we always say it's always a soundtrack to your life and and, and music is 
cool thing you about need it. to understand something. It's not a it's not a past tense thing for me. It's it's a present yeah, I'm, tense I'm thing sorry. for me. You guys are still you're still as important in my personal music catalog right now at 42 years old as you were when I was 18 years old. And for the work, which which this needs to be noted too, the work is you guys' work. Maybe my Maria, it, it, notwithstanding. All right, y'all wrote, and there's to me there is so much. I have so much respect for great writing, and I want everybody listening to this who is a '90s country fan or a country fan at all, a music fan at all. Kicks and Ronnie wrote the vast majority of their catalog with help, of course, with friends, but they had a pen in yeah. it. And I just respect it so much, Ronnie. Well, that's, that's good to hear. You know, it's I used to get it used to hurt my feelings when it would come around time to to do a, a record, and everybody in town's getting pitched all these these different songs, and we we weren't getting pitched songs for some reason. And it always I, I never really understood it, but really what it was was Tim Dubois, the head of the record label, was a songwriter himself, and he he. He stood on the, the, the premise that he said, I want you guys are songwriters. I want you to write your stuff. And, uh, you know, he held our, held our feet to the fire. And, uh, I'm, I'm proud of that. You know, those songs, that's, gosh, that's, those are the things you leave behind. You know, we'll be dead and gone. No and hopefully those songs will be out there. Well, you were being my songwriter of the year twice, I think. I don't, uh, sometime in maybe 90, what, 96 or 2000. I don't remember. But as I recall, it was twice. Forgive me. I don't. Uh, I think so, yeah. What, what makes a good song? <laughs> I wish I knew. A good idea. Start with a good how much does vulnerability play into it? Uh, it's just according to how much yourself you want to lay out there, you know. Or you can or you can hide behind that, you know, fantasy and fiction. You know, that's just like a lot of times. The cool thing about writing is you can you can write the script, you know. But uh, every now and then you, you, you get to slip up and, and let a little, little authenticity come in there. And, uh, you know. I'm afraid sometimes to say how much of it, you know, is authentic and how much not. You know? <laughs> what song do you think most defines Brooks and Dunn? Oh goodness, I don't know. I'd have to ask you that. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a tough. It's a, tough, it's a real you know, tough one. They came along at, at at phases. You know, it's kind of things are kind of uh, a career's up and down. Uh, and really, Brooke artists, whether people know it or not, I think when you're really down in the trenches looking at it. But, like, you know, I remember everything took off on the first CD when Neon uh, Neon Moon came out. It just, all of a sudden, bam, sales just shot through the roof. And then Boot Scoop backed it up. And then we went on to to the next record, the next record. And then with songs like, what, golly, I guess a little later, they Red Dirt Road, you know, Only in America. Uh Good. My Maria, of course, came along. Did it? Did it still? And we didn't write it, but that was a that was a different kind of vibe and uh, all. So I I don't know. Is there one that sticks I read out a piece. to you? Well, there's the, it, again. This is very hard for me, man. Uh, there are certain artists. That's my favorite era in the history of country music, and I study country music. The Highwaymen are, you know, that whole that that foursome. Is, oh yeah! I'm fascinated by them and fascinated by who yeah. they were and the demons they had and things they chased. Oh yeah! And, you know how people don't understand that that Johnny Cash was on the pop charts and that type of thing. They like I just oh. I, I marvel at what they were doing. I mean, the songs that Chris wrote are as relevant right now as they were when he wrote them all those years ago. And so all oh, those they're, things, they're rock songs. yeah, they're rock songs, I mean, man. Well, I mean, it's not just that they're, they're just they're. I guess they supersede all all genres of music. Yep. You know, that's 
that's a big goal when you do that. You know, it's a big barrier to break through. I would say that, and it's probably because Dale Earnhardt, one of your best friends, and I've had the great opportunity to interview both you and Kicks in the past for a story I wrote about Dale for ESPN.com. Uh, your relationship with him fascinates me, and he fascinates me even still. Dale Jr. is one of my best friends on and on. But yeah. You're Going to Miss Me was was one of Dale Earnhardt's favorite songs. And so that one always <laughs> sticks out to me. You know, we're, yeah. we're a sports station, and you had such yeah. a tremendous friendship with Dale Earnhardt. Share with us who he was to you and why he was such a special person. All right, Dale, Dale was like walking on the stage to, to, to I mean, I mean we, would, we had a friend that introduced us to Dale, took us back during, during the, the races we would go to. He liked to take a nap. You know, it was like that, that religious little nap that Johnny Cash would take one before the show. Anyway, uh, you, you go back on his trailer and Hank Jones is a guy's name. And he's, it was good. Dale was probably the, he, he was, I keep saying rock star, but he was the biggest rock star in, in racing I've ever met. And, and it was not by virtue of the fact that just all, all the races he won. It's, it's who the guy was. You know, you, you get around him and there was, there's a lot of power there in that, uh, in his demeanor. And uh, and how he I went about carrying himself and doing things, you know. I, I fished with him a couple of times. <laughs> I mean, everything he did was over the top. Kicks tells a story where they were out fishing in the Bahamas and uh, sharks everywhere, you know. And Kicks pulls in a white marlin. Dale got like he said he just got like manically excited, and uh, Kicks wasn't acting excited enough, so Dale picked him up and threw him overboard. <laughs> I mean, it's like. Forget racing, man. You get in the room with a guy, and it's electricity. You better be on your game and be ready to take anything. And I remember Richard Childress talking about riding uh, horses with him out in uh, Wyoming or Montana. He said, we were right up on a cliff, and Dale reaches down and, and, and hits my horse on the back. And he says, I thought I was going over the cliff, you know? <laughs> he just that, that kind of stuff just defies gravity, and that's that's what you're talking about with Cash and them. And this, this, there are certain people out there that are just, they, they live right up to the edge and beyond. What was it like shooting the honky tonk truth video with Dale? Here, I was scared to death. I give you, I give you a moment. I knew a little bit of background on it, obviously on his dad, how he influenced him and stuff, and and mine was the same way with me. You know, this, my father aspired to be a country singer, and uh, we were shooting it uh, in Vegas in front of the Caesars uh, sign, marquee signs, before they changed it all and made it you know, like it is now. And we're on this scissor lift, just Dale and I doing this part with the uh, sign in the background. And he had come down out of the, you know, just the goodness of his heart, flown down his plane. And uh, I kind of felt like he was, he, at first he was in a hurry, but there's actually, as we settled into the song, I think he felt a little more comfortable. He, uh, he went and ended up hanging with us all night. But I, I remember both of us up on that Sicilis web there overlooking all the lights of Las Vegas and something. And I don't know why, it's just kind of some kind of Tourette thing came out. And we were chatting. I said, I wonder what our dads would think of us right now. And he just just went dead silent and then spun around and looked at me like, what did you just say? You know, it, it, I don't know. What was the question? <laughs> no, I love it. I love the I love your stream of consciousness about that stuff. I wonder why he snapped around like that. Well, you know, it's it's because Dale, I think, in just on a psychological plane, was was probably driving to outdrive his dad all his life. And you hear someone like Dale Earnhardt. I'm, I'm to this day, you know, I I, I sing to try to outsing my dad. 
it's it's just the roles that 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 you know people play in your lives like that, and the motivation behind what makes people what they are. Johnny Cash is the same way, you know. He uh, he never really felt like he had the acceptance of his dad, and Dale Dale was always chasing his dad. I'm chasing my dad. There's like there's a there's a there's a, a consistent dynamic that runs through some of this. I call it high achiever syndrome. Well, I can tell you another guy that has it, and you're talking to him. It, uh, there you go. My old man was a an amazing person. He was driven, but man, he was complicated. And yeah, mine was I too. have spent my whole life. Wor- I mean, everything I've ever accomplished was to make him proud. He'd been dead ten years. Everything I've ever Same. done was to make him proud. Yeah, that's it. If, and if, you know, even if my, my dad was a driver a lot. He drove trucks and all kinds of stuff. Just did everything. A lot of pipeline stuff, but just a super, super dynamic uh, and, like you said, complicated guy. And uh, you know that that little that little fire they leave with you is like you know here it is. You know, good luck. You take it and run now. As a dad, it makes me. You know, I hope I'm doing that for my son. I hope I'm. I do too. In some way, I, I hope my work ethic, and I'm hard on him sometimes. I demand respect, and I demand that he champions his mama and his sisters and all those things, and he doesn't always like it, but I don't rightly give a damn. It's my job to raise him. And, <laughs> you know, so who knows? That's a bit of an aside. So I read, or I might have seen it on your Instagram, that when you first moved to Nashville, Johnny and June Cash let you live in a house of theirs. How'd that come to be? I did. They did. Uh, well, Janine, uh, my wife's uh, first husband, had passed away from uh, cancer, and uh, he was the guy who built the original one piece at a time car. Uh, Bill Patches. Wow. Yeah. So he built that car not knowing Johnny. Took it up to him, and uh, John wouldn't take it. He said, "There's an angle to it." And Bill went, "No, I just, I just like doing this kind of stuff." He uh, had a coal mine, was very mechanical, was always inventing stuff, and. Uh, Took it up to him. Anyway, long story short, they became fast friends. So when uh, when Janine came along, and uh, they, uh, they she and June and uh, John and uh, Bill became fast friends, and uh, just would, were best friends. Would travel travel the world together. And uh, so I went in the Marlboro Talent Contest in 1988. Uh, I've got to go to Nashville to do a session. That's part of the, one of the things, the prizes you win. And Janine just happened to call June and say, hey, I'm up here with uh, my uh, boyfriend. And, of course, you know, June's like, boyfriend, what's he do? She goes, well, he just won some talent contest. It's like, oh, oh, no. You know, here here it comes. So, uh, uh, you know, she – anyway, we go home after doing the sessions and stuff. A couple of months later, the phone rings, and uh, Janine picks it up. And we're back in Oklahoma, and June goes – she called her Whitter uh, instead of Whitter Patch. She goes, Whitter Patch or Whitter. How would you and, and Ronnie like to uh, stay in the log house up on the hill outside Nashville there? And Janine almost dropped the phone because it, it's just, it's like something I, and it's in a magazine right now. That's what the Instagram post was about. But they let us live in this fabulous log house for $600 a month. Half the time they wouldn't take the rent uh, and supported that that venture you know tenfold uh it was it was amazing so johnny really, really cash was. had a tremendous influence on your success story then well uh, he he did in in that sense you know uh he was 
he and June had a cabin up next to us and stuff, but not he wasn't involved in in the the you know me landing the record deal and, and and writing things and stuff like that. But very very much you know friends along the way. June th- you know, threw the uh, baby shower for for Haley, our youngest, uh, uh, and all that. So we we miss him really really. Miss him so How much. would you describe the current country music landscape? <laughs> Maybe the laughter is all I need. Maybe the laughter is no, your man. answer. Oh no, I'm not going to put it down. I'm not going to put it down. It's it's it, you know it's maybe just my age. I'm 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 a little bit confused. You know, there there are a couple of guys that kind of kind of rear their heads up that I I, I kind of turn around and, and will listen to. It. But that's been the case I think back even when we were we were running. It's it's certainly changed and and you know I I know too much. I've seen behind the curtain, so I know what's going on again with the business and and all that. So, but that is not in any way to criticize any artist. I don't have that right, you know. As I say that to each his own, and and, and you know, let it let it do what it's going to do. All right, we won't be critical, but what artists impress you? What current artists impress I, you? I like I like Luke Combs. He's uh, great and. Uh, and I like, uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm just, I've known him for years, but he's a super, super talented guy, Chris Stapleton, just really good. And I like some of this stuff that that John Party is throwing out uh, on the on the countryside. You know, a lot of these boys have to, you know, they come along. They'll, they'll come to town as country artists, and that, you know, that town in its will take you right now and and make you make you do stuff if you know. And you're young, and you want you're, you want to. You want to make a statement and get out there, and it's it's harder now for them to, I think, really express themselves because they're having to adhere to a a, a radio format that literally dictates what they do. In other words, to be heard, you gotta you gotta everybody's chasing the the cat the, the tail of the cat, and the business wants to do that anyway. If something's successful, everybody jumps on the bandwagon. Well, it's that times ten now. That's that's my ten cents. Well, it's interesting that you use Chris because, I mean, Stapleton, everybody but Chris got to sing his songs for 10 years. And then all yeah. of a sudden, uh, he's the you know greatest vocalist that ever lived. And yeah. I adore him. Yeah. He's a friend of mine. And uh, I was on that wagon early. I was just, I, I, yeah. look, you, you won't, you, you, sir, you, sir, are one of the greatest vocalists. There's just yeah. not a whole lot of guys who can go where Chris Stapleton can go. No, I, I used to tell Chris we we write in a barn or something, and then we get through, and he goes, "Sing it down on tape." And I'm going, "No, I don't think so." You sing it. <laughs> <laughs> he look at me like, "Ah, yeah, uh, uh-uh. uh, no, you do it, buddy." But I've been telling him back then. I said, "You you're a star. You're going to be a star. You flat are, you know." And then by golly, he earned it, and Chris earned it the hard way. He came up through the trenches, writing, doing all this stuff. He paid his dues. All right, a couple more things, and I'll get you out of here. We started with the rodeo. We're going to end with the rodeo. Is Chris Ledoux the baddest-ass cowboy of all time? <laughs> yeah. Because he's a badass. He pretty much is. He pretty much is. I was just in uh, Miles City, Montana, shooting a, a Miles City, uh, once again, photographing the Miles City, Montana uh, b- a bucking horse sale. It's where they, all the stock breeders bring their horses, and they test them to, to see you know how they buck, and then they'll, they'll bid right there on the spot. But... Uh, uh, Chris's son uh, played the night before, and uh, we went down to hear it. It was really, it's interesting. That's cool. really, really cool. What's now, the greatest Chris, rodeo Chris, movie ever? Oh, a rodeo movie ever? Yep. Oh man, put me on the spot. Ah. I know it's a hard one. I wouldn't be able to answer it because the only one I would be able to answer is Pure Country because George Strait's Dusty. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think I'm with you there. That, that's not bad. Uh, eight seconds was was kind of cool. I, I, you know, it's hard. That's a hard one. I would say Electric Cowboy, but we're over that era. <laughs> <laughs> How would you rate Straits' performance as Dusty? Oh, you know, it, it, as a uh, what is it? As an actor, he makes a, he makes a real good singer. <laughs> uh, all right, we're gonna get you out of here on this. Oh, that's a perfect note. I want a great George Strait story. I know you got a hundred of them. Uh, uh, yeah, I was telling this one the other day. Just, uh, I was in the actually in the barn doing some studio stuff, and the guys were uh, not four last. And uh, the guys were going, "God, there's some crazy stuff going in here." I said, "I know. I remember that we had a, threw a full CMA party, uh, Country Music Awards, after uh, the show one night, and uh, the house got so full that we had to migrate down to the barn." And a bunch of us went down there and got, you know, piano and guitars. And we were all playing around and having a great time. Uh, Straight would, he would sing. Janine is a, is a huge Merle Haggard fan. So he'd sing, you know, just about any, I mean, any Haggard song you name, he, he, he knew it. So she got him to sing Carolyn and he did that. Anyway, it just, it seemed like it was party didn't last for two hours. So we all walk outside to get in a, an SUV to take us back to the house. And the sun's coming up. And we'd all been kind of, you know, uh, having you know, cocktails and stuff, of course. And for some reason, I looked over at George and I go, do you hunt? And he just slowly looked over at me like, are you talking about going hunting right now? Is that what you're working up to? <laughs> the look on his face was priceless. That's not what I was talking about anyway. But, that's, you know, I don't know. That's, a, that's one of the best I've got. I, you just kind of had to be there, I think. I'd give anything to be there. I'd love to see it. I'd love to experience it. And brother, I just I can't I can't tell you first of all uh, how humbling it is to get even get the chance to chat with you and that you'd give me all this time and insight and tell me so many cool stories. I just I'm a hugest fan and uh, I appreciate you guys so much for the people you are and the work you've done and how you've shaped my life, man. Thank you, brother. Murray, just did you you changed my life to be able to hear you say that. I love it. Thank you, man. I mean it when I say it. It's humbling to me to have that time with an icon like Ronnie Dunn and learn those stories. The The biggest takeaway for me, a lot of times, I talk about my dad all the time, and a lot of times when I talk about my dad, I learn about myself even more because I am vulnerable enough to think about my father's influence on me, and I meant it when I said it to Ronnie. I've spent almost every day of my adult life and professional life trying to, I don't want to say live up to my dad's expectations because I don't want to paint a picture that he wasn't proud of me. He was proud of me. But my dad, it, it was an expectation. There was an expectation that I was going to wring every damn ounce of want to, desire, and talent an opportunity that I was given. And I don't just mean in this job at ESPN. I mean the athletic ability I was given as a kid, the brain that I was given by the Lord to learn and to grow. All of those things, this life is a culmination of the attempt every day to live up to that expectation. And to hear Ronnie verbalize it that way, not just about himself, but about Big E, it stopped time for me. And I found it to be such a vulnerable statement. And I think 
Travis, I'd like to get your perspective on this. I actually feel like he surprised himself when he said it. Yeah, you could kind of feel like how it was happening to him, and he was wow moment. Yeah, it was. It was a real. It was a real time admission that I felt like was a really vulnerable moment for a man who's achieved so much, and that is a kindred spirit that I have with him and and with Dale. Even though I never got to have that specific conversation with Big E before he passed. Um, but I love how Ronnie said it. I love how he alluded to the fact that it's almost a universal trait among high achievers that you're trying to live up to that standard. It really resonated with me. I loved that part. And I also loved learning that the label that Kicks and Ronnie were on, they believed so much in those two as songwriters that while everybody else in town was being handed the greatest songs by the greatest writers in town. They were writing their own catalog because the label said, you two are great writers and you need to be singing what you feel. And that is great music. That is great songwriting because there's a vulnerability in it. I wanted to get into that with Ronnie, but about the vulnerability, how much of great songwriting is songwriting is vulnerability. And I loved what he said. It depends how much of yourself you want to put out there. And that is unequivocal truth. With all of my friends in music right now who are great writers, whether that's Eric Church, Chris Stapleton, Luke Combs, all these guys who are great writers in the format right now, you hear them discuss that. Well, think about it. You know, some of the best songs are accurate things. We've had Phil on and we've had David Lee Murphy and their hits are songs that happen because like they all say the same thing. They can't make this stuff up. So they just have right. to be vulnerable enough to be able to share it. You know, Mark Cohn we had on with you and McGee on the show, you know, talked about walking in Memphis. That happened. That's, you know, these guys open themselves up to the world. And sometimes people don't realize that this stuff is real for them. And it can be hard. Depending on the subject matter, it can be very difficult to dig within yourself that deeply and make those admissions. Even though it's a piece of art, it's autobiographical in many, in many ways, in many instances. I love it, man. What an awesome conversation, and what a blessing to get to do it. I actually should thank the folks at Cheyenne Frontier Days because they set this interview up for us. I got a I got an email from the folks out there, and they have a tremendous concert lineup during the eight days of the Cheyenne Frontier Days, and Ronnie is one of those artists, and of course his photography is being displayed out there as well in the Lensman project that he's doing. And I just, man, I don't know. It's wonderful. God bless America. Speaking of God bless America, we should check in on the Hillbilly Hotline at what idiocy's on that thing this week. Travis, what you got? Words, sayings, or just a way of life? Roman candles? That's a redneck mortar launcher. That's what that is. <laughs> this is Hillbillyisms. Hey, Marty, this is Matt, Boone, North Carolina. Wanted to call tell you a story about some jorts. My buddy got married... <laughs> the Friday before the All-Star race in Charlotte a few years ago, and some of us went to the race the next day. One of our friends hadn't originally planned on going, but he did have a pair of jeans with him that day. While we're out tailgating in the parking lot at Charlotte Motor Speedway, he decides to take a knife and make his own pair of jorts. Ends up actually stabbing himself with the knife. Not too bad, though. Bled a little bit. It ended up Making his jorts, they were the most uneven pair of jorts you've ever seen. After he had a few cold beers in him, 
he might end up relieving himself a little bit on his pants, <laughs> stood next to the road, and just stared at everybody and said, yes, it is what you think. I did piss myself. Hope you have a good one. Love your show. Keep it going. Well, uh, my response to that, Travis, is very simple. That's resourceful. Sometimes when it's hot outside and you have on your uh, Lee dungarees, you just have to improvise and you bust out your pocket knife and you make yourself a pair of jorts. Now, you do have to be careful, man, because that's some uh, that's some precious cargo down there uh, when you're cutting off your, your pant leg, right? We've, we've talked to him. This I feel like we're now well, this is a PSA moment for us. You got to use some scissors, and preferably if you can take them off. That's- he would have been much better off if he just stripped down there in the parking lot. See, he obviously has not done this before. That was his maiden voyage in jort cutting. Because what you do is you open, like if you have uh, most pickup trucks anymore are double cab, right? They're like king cab trucks. Yeah, you or, open up both doors. Right, open up both doors, take off your pants. Snip, snip. Make sure you get your jorts even. Cause you, not only, I mean, imagine, he said they were uneven. Imagine what that looked like. I mean, it, he probably had to roll them to get them even. And that is even worse. It's one thing to have the jorts. It's another level when you roll, tight roll the jort. So here's what I've learned. It sounds like it's the first time this guy's ever worn or made jorts. The first time he's ever tailgated and he obviously First time listen. he's ever gone to the bathroom. And apparently he doesn't listen to the podcast either because if he would have, we have given multiple times about how to make jorts for these people. I understand that sometimes you have a couple too many and you get a little disoriented and you don't really know what's going on around you. But if you've had so much that you end up wetting your pants, man, it's time to pack it up. It's time to pack it up and take it on to the house, son, because you're just an embarrassment. You also, where's his friend at to help to make those jorts? Well, they were drinking beer. And, uh, you know, if I look, would you help? If, if you were unwilling to take off your pants to make the jorts, do you really think that I would, I'm, we're buddies. I wouldn't be taking a pocket knife to your pants while you had them on. Sorry, man. I wouldn't do that. That's against guy code in spades. Another thing that's against guy code is beaching a jet ski. Let me tell y'all a story from this weekend. I got back from SEC Media Days, and my brother-in-law, Mike, and I took Cameron and Chase, my son and nephew, out uh, on the uh, on the water. We live about a block or so off the ocean here. And we went over to the bay side of town. Ocean City is an island. So we went over to the bay side of the island, and we got on a couple jet skis. And we're, we spent like three hours out on these things. It's the most fun thing in the world, man. And when you get out in the ocean on a jet ski... Man, you're launching this thing, man. It's so fun. But we went out into the marsh area where there's all these little channels where the boats can't go. And we're going fast. I mean, we're digging. these. We're probably on the open water. We're going 50, 45, 50 miles an hour on these jet skis. And the boys are holding on to us for dear life. And we went out, though, at one point into the marsh area where there's, there's all these little channels. It's almost like little roads out through there. And the boats can't go. Only the jet skis can go. And I got a little overzealous. And I I went around the corner, and I couldn't make the turn, and I beached it. I mean, I, I not only did I beach it, I mean, I 10 feet beached it. And this is the marsh, okay? This is not dry land. So we had to figure out how to get this thing out 
just Mike and me, and it took us probably 20 minutes of clearing and shoving and pushing and grunting, and it got to the point where we had dug the rear end into the mud so badly. Cameron, my son, had to sit on the nose of it while we tried to push it out. We were thigh deep. Or we were almost waist deep in muck trying to push this thing out of there, and it was disgusting. It was disgusting beyond description. Ultimately, we get the thing out. I have to get into the muck to clear out the impaler, and uh, it was very unfortunate, so we went and had a beer. Hold my beer. I've had a couple of bad incidents on jet skis. I've had one broken, broken down. It was still idling, but everyone else left, so I slowly idled my way back to the dock. How'd that make you feel? Uh, I was livid when I got back because where were you guys? So like, hey, I think we lost a jet ski here and I was burnt. So I got back and said, give me a cold beer. And I've been on a jet ski and been hit by another jet ski on vacation. Oh gosh. I luckily it hit the, the front, uh, probably like 30 maybe. Um, and you know, it went flying everywhere. I made several tactical errors. First of all, was beaching it, which is an embarrassment. You know, it's embarrassing anyway. Especially when you got your son and your, your yeah. nephew. Yeah, you're out there. And, and well, so I, I left out a couple of details. So after I beached mine, Mike pulls up on his with, with Chase, my nephew, and they just instantly had this defeated look on their face. Like, you suck. Uh, but we got it. So as Mike, Mike gets off of his, trudges through this disgusting muck, there's like, crabs running around everywhere stuff's biting us we're getting pricked by the um seaweed whatever that's whatever the foliage is out there it was a mess and again we're sunk almost to our waists in this disgusting mess all of a sudden chase is floating away he's just floating away on his jet ski so i'm like oh my lord so i hurdle i I, I remove myself from the muck i hurdle my jet ski jump into the disgusting water and bring him back over. Do the wives so, know this? This part uh, of the they, story? Or are they finding we, out when they listen? It was man code, but Cameron broke man code. He told my wife last night. Did Daddy tell you about beach in the jet ski? Thanks, bud. Good looking. Wow, out. throwing you out there. Um. Okay. So on top of that, so it, it it we get it we get the thing out. I get it all cleaned up. We get out back into the open channel. I clean it all up. I clean us up. We basically take a bath in the water, and then we go get a cold beer. Well, I made a really bad mistake. I'm really pale, like I'm super pale, and I did not put any sunscreen on my legs. And when you're riding a jet ski, your your shorts, your, your board shorts ride up. My thighs look like candy canes. It is, it and it hurts. It's unbelievable. I don't like the sun. I'm one of those dudes on the beach. I have on an SPF 50 hoodie, and I have one of those hats that covers it shields the sun so dramatically, it basically covers your whole body, not just your face and ears. So I'm that guy, and I get pissed. And I don't mean like, oh, man, I mean pissed when I get a sunburn, and my legs look like candy canes. Anytime y'all want to call us about your jorts, call us, 860-516-1315, and we will probably showcase your wonderful tales of cutting off your own jorts real time with the pocket knife you stashed in the back pocket, we'd love it. 
The dumber, the better. The dumber, the better. And I know y'all got dumb stories. It doesn't matter what it's about. It could be your camping stories. It could be your hunting stories. It could be your ball game, tailgate, buddies out on the out on the range. It doesn't matter what it is. Call us and tell us. Make we Mr. Price care. proud. The rednecker, the better. Thank you guys so much for supporting the Marty Smith's America podcast. Thanks to Travis for always working so hard to make this thing sound great. It's a train wreck before he puts it together so beautifully. Thanks to Louise for believing in the product enough to give us the platform. Thanks so much to all of our sponsors that support this show. We couldn't do it without them. And above all, thank you guys. Your loyalty and your passion and your belief in what we're doing matters so much. Subscribe, rate, and review. It matters to us. Thank you so much to our military men and women who are keeping us free all around this world. God bless America. It's the greatest country in the world. See you all next week.